Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is winemaker, environmentalist, outdoor enthusiast, and founder of Turning Tide Wines, Alyssa Jacobson. Alyssa is a 2001 graduate of UC Davis with a degree in viticulture and enology. And in 2003, she was hired as employee number one at Joel Gott Wines. AJ would go on to serve as VP of winemaking at Joel Gott, overseeing all winery and vineyard operations. And during her time at Joel Gott, she would also spearhead projects in Argentina, Chile, Italy, France, and New Zealand. And in 2018, she launched her own label, Turning Tide Wines. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. We, we're getting to do this. Yeah, pretty exciting. I love yeah, being back in New York, even though it's still sort of the middle of harvest for me. But, you know, quick trip in and out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, tell everybody about the wines we're drinking this afternoon. What'd you bring? So I brought one of two, actually, of my brand new wines. Um, the first one that we're drinking right now is my certified CCOF organic Sauvignon Blanc. Um, so this was always something that I've been um, kind of really spearheading, um, not just the farming practice, but I wanted to make sure that I could sort of note it on the label as well. Like this is certified organic. It's not just a marketing ploy. This is, you know, what I believe in. This is how the wine was made and how the um, grapes were grown. Um, this is a 2021 from the Central Coast of California. And Calif Central Coast of California is where I currently live um, in a place called Pismo Beach. And I bought two vineyards down there at the end of 2020. And I make my wine off of those vineyards. Sweet. Um What's CCOF stand for? Because I'm sure there's some listeners podcast who doesn't know. I barely know. Yeah. Um, it's an organic certification. And so it's the certification that is most well-known. Um, so it's the, California. Yeah. What's it stand for? <laughs> she doesn't even know. So that's not, so, <laughs> 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 oh, oh, yeah. She was like, oh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's who I am. <laughs> it's my shining it's moment. It's the main certification uh, agency. <laughs> I can't think of it right now. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, you know, I, now, now I got to do some more work. I'm going to have to look it up and put that in there in the show notes. For those who want to know what CCOF is. <laughs> yeah, good thing you edit this, right? There's no editing. I told you. Josh, you're going to get fucked on this one. <laughs> um, We're coming for you, Josh. <laughs> All right. So, um, Let's start at the beginning. Um, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Um, I grew up in the north uh, north coast of California. Um, so it was a little farming town about an hour east of San Francisco. And I grew up around cherries and pistachios. And I was in the local 4-H, showed my lambs and hogs at the county fair. So very, like, you know, country girl growing up. What's the name? Does it have a town? Uh, uh, the does the name have a town? The does the town have a name? <laughs> the town's called Brentwood. Okay. Um, and it's Not near. to be confused with with O.J. Simpson, Brentwood. That is correct. Guys. That is what I always get. <laughs> yep. <laughs> kind of why I didn't mention it. <laughs> no, but like, I mean, I wish I grew up in Brentwood, L.A. <laughs> it, would, it would mean something about my parents. I have an amazing oh, yeah. parents, but right. I was just saying. It would just mean, um, well, you know. It's a nice neighborhood. Um, so Brentwood, it's this little town. Um, what's like the closest? So it's how far from San Francisco, you said? About an hour east of San Francisco. Okay. Um, and it's near uh, the farming town called Oakley, where there's a lot of old vines and fidel. Um, yes, I know, I've so heard of Oakley. You might have heard that. Um, the uh, Because it's really sandy soils out there, 
And the sandy soils made it so the little root louse called phylloxera wasn't able to travel through the soils to kill off the vines from um, – which is why there's still a lot of old vines there. Right. So well, gonna, I don't want to get too wine geeky, but that's like a lot of the own-rooted stuff is because the it's, on, it's, it's is the sand sandy soils. Normally, right? yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, I read somewhere – San Joaquin Delta, so it's, it's a whole farming thing, right? Yeah. Okay. So you grew brown cherries, pistachios. I did uh, corn. We were home of the corn fest in Brentwood. Brentwood corn fest. Brentwood corn fest, Brentwood organic corn. Um, so by the CCOF. Yep. <laughs> the California Federation <laughs> of... <laughs> California corn... Corn. Officers, <laughs> farmers. Um what did your What did your parents do? So you, you're in a kind of like a farming community. Were you, were you, was your family in the ag community, or what, um, they what, were more they were more um, family farmers. Um, my dad was an engineer, and my mom was a school teacher. Um, but we grew up next to commercial cherry orchards, and so when I was a kid, we used to go out and sell cherries on the street. Um, uh, you know, we'd go out and uh, pick cherries off the trees and go sell little baskets for people that are coming in from the city. So was that was that like? It was like you could all you could pick cherries, so you'd pick them, yep, and then sell them to the people from San Francisco. Yep, exactly. I like it. I like it. <laughs> but I think just growing up there, I really realized that the um, you know we really California really does feed you know a lot of the a lot of the U.S. and it's um, the farmland there is super important um, to preserve, um, but also you know to make sure that we're farming in a way where we're not using a lot of chemicals or. Um, you know, chemical farming, as far as like, you're, you're around people, you're around houses, you're, you know, and then you're feeding people whatever is on the, on the fruit. So I think it's super important to make sure that you know, you know, what you're, what you're drinking, what's going in your body, what you're eating, um, and, you know, how things are being farmed. So, um, how many in family, how many, you have any siblings? Oh, uh, yeah, I have a younger brother that lives up in Idaho. <laughs> okay. Very nice. Very nice. So, um, you're growing up, you're next to these farms. Um, is that what had you major in viticulture and enology at Davis? It is. It's the reason that I went there. I knew I wanted to get into agricultural somehow. Um, and that that's um, UC Davis sort of had that open opportunity, you know, whether I wanted to go into the um, – into like more of the animal like medical field like veterinary discipline um which i definitely took some classes on on that as well um but it just sort of opened my mind up of hey there's so much out there um and i really loved the way that um you know i could have gone into you know raspberry farming or blueberry farming or whatnot you know a lot of different disciplines i was sort of studying but i really loved the idea that you could like turn grapes into something so i love that every year was that time capsule it captured you know, what happened that year? Was it a hot year? Was it a cold year? Um, you really got to see um, the production of that sort of vintage um, versus just making like, you know, raspberry jam or something. <laughs> so I love that it turned into something because I was I was 18 when I was in school. I didn't, you know, I didn't fall in love with the, with yeah. the passion of wine. Um, it was more like the farming and the, um, the environmental side of things that I was more passionate about. And then over the years, I got to really love wine because – because of what I said, I think it really is like that uh, encapsulates, you know, everything that you did in the vineyard and everything that happened during the growing year. Totally. It's totally saving time in a bottle, like that song. Yeah. Um, did your parents drink wine? Was wine on the table growing up? Um, it was a little bit, yeah. Um, 
I mean, I think they always enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, during the holidays and mm -hmm. kind of special occasions. Yeah. And definitely, um, you know, I was always supported in, in the direction that I wanted to go in. So um, what's Davis like? Because I, I had someone else went Davis. She actually majored in psychology. and then went oh, okay. wild, but, but, um, but like what was it like uh, being from the North Coast and then going to Davis? I mean, it was um, – I think the best thing about going to Davis was the community that we had. It was um, – I want to say I graduated with about 20 people. Um, so it was pretty small, the Viticulture and Enology program. Um, but I knew everybody so well and we were roommates and we did wine tastings and we were probably the most, you know, social partly because of our, you know, <laughs> what we were getting into. Um, like, let's go – Let's go drink some wine at somebody's house hey. this weekend. <laughs> research. <laughs> we're doing research. So I think partly because we were the most social, um, you know, because of what we were doing. But also um, we were in these really tough classes. We were in all these like really crazy like pre-med classes with people that were, you know, really trying to get themselves into like major uh, medical schools. Um, and, you know, we were just there to drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I think we had that like joint like, wow, we're, you know, the the science part of it I never thought I would really get into but mm -hmm. I loved it I, it's like this is how like the earth was created this is um you know physically like what what is all around us so I, I think the science like kind of really got like geeky about it when I was there um because that's really what uh, Davis didn't like take you out into the in the vineyards and teach you how to dive a tractor you had to kind of do that on your own it was really about the like background in in science, you could kind of figure out um, uh, troubleshoot along the way. Um, you know, you learned about yeast and bacteria, and you know how vines are grown, and um, so it wasn't really like the hands-on practical side of it, but it was really like the background of it. I I think that's fascinating because, like, all the movies about wine is just super sexy, right? <laughs> it's the vineyard, somebody's falling in love, you know. But like, there's a whole like. Like, like you're talking about, like, there's this, I've met winemakers who are like, I'm farmers, there's farmers, yeah. there's farm winemakers, and there's scientists winemakers. Yeah. You know? And then there's, obviously, there's, there, there's, that's got to be a scale people fall in between. But, like, mm -hmm. it, it's just interesting that, you know, you, you turn on, you know, something about wine, and it's just, this was beautiful, and we're on this rolling landscape, and, you know, rarely, and if they do mention, like, Pest, it's just kind of glossed over. It's like it's not, it's not like fuck fermentation stuck. Oh, this shit out, you know, <laughs> blah, 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 you know, like you know, like or we had a heat spike, you know, we had to pull the grapes, right? So I just think that's really like how much science you had to go through, um, yeah, yeah, to get your degree. Like not that you did, you don't need a degree to make wine. Everybody, okay, I got that, but it's it seems like. Around the world, even there's there's a Bordeaux, there's a university in and and there's one there there's universities in Italy, yeah. there's university in Burgundy, and a lot of the younger winemakers have gone to university and study. Their parents maybe didn't, but you know around the world they've studied it. And now they're coming back and bringing some of these best practices, right? So you traveled. What did you do when you got out of school? Um, I did do a little traveling. I did do harvest a uh, harvest job in Australia, um, and mostly so I could go diving on the Great Barrier Reef. So yeah, um, <laughs> let's, you're, you're an outdoor enthusiast. Yep. What the hell is a Great Barrier Reef? I'm sure 
I saw a National Geographic special on it once, but like, <laughs> what is, why is it such a big deal to people who dive? And, and, and just being an environmentalist. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things about that. So um, the reef is really shallow. Um, so they call it a barrier reef because the ships can't get through it. So it's really shallow off the coast of Australia. Um, but one of the things about why I'm so glad that I went there um, when I did is because it is starting to have more kind of tourists that have harmed the coral and some of this uh, bleaching from the sun that's um, starting to cause cause issues. And they say it's not nearly as um, you know that we didn't do a very good job of protecting it over the years, um, and so it's it's uh, not as well preserved as it should be. And it's just like a natural formation? Big natural formation underwater. Um, yeah, it stretches for, I think, you know, a pretty good chunk of Australia. Like half of Australia has the Great Barrier Reef. So there's lots of places to go um, on the reef and go diving. When did you get into diving? Oh, when I was um, about 16. My um, grandmother, who's definitely been an inspiration mm. over the years, um, she didn't know how to swim, um, and she learned how to scuba dive when she was 65 years old. It was one of those, like, conquering her fears. I'm going to go out into, like, the most, like, crazy ocean up in the Mendocino Coast, northern California, where it's, like, really cold and murky, and I don't know how to swim, but I'm going to learn how to scuba dive. <laughs> um, uh, so when I was about 16, um, my grandma and grandpa took me out, um, and we were doing a lot of, like, Back then, when you were allowed to do abalone diving, we were we were abalone diving along the coast. So that's really what got me into it, and seeing like this crazy underwater world. Um, it's just a whole different, whole different world under there. That's freaking amazing. So where did you? Where was your um, harvest? Where did you intern down under? Um, I was in the south part of Australia. Um, I worked a night shift with all these um, kind of. Uh, it was a larger winery. Um, and there was lots of scary spiders and snakes cruising around at night. That was one of the main things I remember. Um, but it was a good experience because I was really able to see a lot of – back to, you know, Davis didn't really have the hands-on um, production side. So I had to do a few harvests kind of in the cellar in the lab and really understanding um, some of the day-to-day -day of the mechanics um, of how things work in the cellar. Did did was that your first time doing that, or did you work any harvest uh, during the um, at Davis? Well, I did. I worked um, three harvests while I was at Davis. I worked um, two harvests at a, a little sparkling wine place called Corbell, um, <laughs> and uh, and then my third harvest was at Shramsburg. Um, so I really started in the in the sparkling wine world. Yeah. So what, yeah, How'd, let's talk about why, why sparkling wine world. Just just they were hiring. They offered me a job. <laughs> Well, sparkling wine, you do pick it earlier, um, okay. and so you're able to get through harvest earlier and go back to school. Got it. So there was a logistics part of it as mm -hmm. well. Um, but, I mean, I love bubbles. I think that um, – I think – you know, I'm making some right now um, up in Oregon, actually. I think it's one of the one of the places that um, really grows Pinot Noir and Chardonnay well. Um, and so I made a sparkling wine out of Pinot Chard and Pinot Blanc. Um, last vintage, uh, just to kind of get myself back into that world. Um, but if I drink anything, that's like the main thing that I drink. Ah. Um, and so Corbell's huge operation. Um, what size is Schramsburg? Cause I, I mean, I know Schramsburg, um, used to be served at the White House. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's how it got um, famous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, mm -hmm. but, um, a little bit, 
scaled back in the production versus Corbell, which has just got to be millions and millions of cases. Yeah, but it was good. I think, um, you know, logistically, the the larger operations are kind of exciting because there's yeah. this puzzle that you have to figure out. Um, so that that I think is interesting. Um, and then I got to experience the super hands-on at Shramsburg, which was um, basically to me and one other seller person um, that were doing all of the all of the pressing. Um, the sparkling comes in like so hot and heavy like during this short period of time that you have to kind of run the presses twenty four seven. So they they had me and one other person um, running around the clock to. Uh, get all the pressing done at Shamersburg. And this is all new to you because there's not like a pressing class at Davis, right? No, definitely not. That's kind of wild. Um, I'm just putting this all together. It's so funny. Um, yeah, because it's viticulture and analogy, right? But like, where do you learn how to press? Where do you, where do you learn how to do pump overs? Like, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, you, you definitely had to learn that on the job. And yeah. so it was about a lot of – so once you finished your degree, you know, you had to go do some hands-on work. Um, and so I did that. I worked at, um, and then I worked in the lab in the cellar at Joseph Phelps for two years as well. Okay. Just so after I got out of college. So that's another, um, that's a pretty iconic operation. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does someone do in the lab at a winery like Joseph Phelps? Um, so the lab kind of goes along with, um, watching your fermentation so you're um watching how the yeast is fermenting your wine and making sure that it's going the direction that you want it to go in us winemakers kind of uh you take a little bit of a hands-off approach and just you know kind of guide the wine i would say mm-hmm. more than um more than steer it and a lot of the lab analysis is about um you know watching how much sugar watching your temperatures um and your fermentations watching what your acid levels are at, um, and just sort of uh, kind of a little hands-off quality control, kind of double-checking your taste palette. And so did you do anything with, like, uh, like winemaking there, or is it just strictly analysis at Phelps? Um, we all sort of worked together um, on a wine team. We definitely did a lot of tasting together. Um, Craig Williams and Sarah Gott were the two winemakers at the time when I was there. Um, and yeah, they, they both were really supportive of trying to teach everybody, um, that worked in the lab about, um, tasting. Cause your palate is, you know, that's the one, number one thing you really have to, um, you know, sort of build. Um, and the more that you taste the, and the more that you sync up with other people and how they're tasting and talk about what you taste, um, the more that, uh, the more kind of practice you get on that. So <clears throat> let's. Tell everybody, give them like a primer on how to develop your palate. How should someone develop their palate? I mean, first is practice. You taste a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you also need to pick out. You need to really think about what you're tasting and pick out flavors. And that's why why we do that. That's why we, you know, talk about when I'm tasting passion fruit. Um, It really is about trying to to sync those flavors with something in your mind that, that kind of jogs your memory. Um, and that's how I, I can go through 20 different wines and, you know, kind of put them all in my memory and mm-hmm. go back through, okay, I liked one and three. Um, and I think that's a lot of it is just that, that practice and really putting the, um, putting that sort of, uh, those words into your kind of memory. Yeah. It's like, um, developing your mental Rolodex. Yeah. There's people who don't know what that is. <laughs> 
your mental <laughs> philofax. You go even early to make myself even older. Um, <laughs> right? The Dewey Decimal System? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's that? Exactly. Go to the card catalog of your mind. Um, but it is, it is that, right? Because, you, you know, when you taste it, I'm like, what is that? What is, I know I know that. And you're like, that's not lemon. It's, you know, it's... It's lemon zest or whatever, you know, or, or no, it's, 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 it's that guava is a passion fruit. You know, it's something tropical, right? And you just, yeah. and then tasting with other people, they like, there is this validation. That's why you want to have a good tasting group. Um, right. That you're going to get. Cause it's like, no, 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 no. It, it's, yeah, like, no, that's passion fruit, not guava. Oh, okay. And then you go, and then you kind of put that in your mind. Um, so you're doing Phelps, um, Cab Sauv, they do everything though, right? Cab Sauv, they yeah. do pretty much. I mean, yep. Um, and a lot of Rhone varieties. I think that's kind of where I started. Um, yeah, he's the the Mistral yep. Rhone blend, right? Yep. That's where I started learning a little bit more about the Central Coast um, because that Le Mistral blend was a lot from the Monterey region. And at the point, at the time, I didn't really know why. You think like, oh, Napa is you know the place to be. Yeah. Um, but. You know, I got to learn, actually, Napa's, Napa's great for Cabernet, but there's a lot of other regions that are great for other things. And I think, you know, that's when I first started seeing, um, uh, I mean, Grenache and Syrah was coming out of the Central Coast and thinking, like, wow, these are really amazing, like, um, spicy flavors, cool climate that you don't get from those, like, kind of riper areas. And I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Um, and I started getting more interested in kind of the southern regions. So you said something, I like... Is Napa really good for Cabernet, or does everybody pull it up, uh, pull up all those great old vines after the Judgment of Paris? I mean, is it really good? For, I mean, yes, they make great, but but is it really? Because there's lots of other shit planted there, right? There is. There, I mean, there is a lot. Um, I think Cabernet is Cabernet does do really well in Napa. Um, it's warm enough to get Cabernet all the way ripe, um, and you know, Cabernet is a late budding variety, meaning that it's a late ripening variety. So you do need a um, Warm climate to get Cabernet ripe. Um, there's a lot of other fruit there. I do, you know, there's some great Sauvignon Blancs um, that come out of like some of those deeper soils by the river. Um, I think, yeah, some of those are really nice. Um, but yeah, I think more and more um, uh, people are trying to experiment with different varieties up there. Um, you think that's driven by climate change? I I do think um, that it has. We have seen that it's gotten warmer. I mean, even looking at this vintage that we just went through now, um, Napa finished picking their fruit, you know, weeks ago. And the Central Coast is still um, – I still have some Cabernet to go pick when I get back. Um, so it it definitely um, seems like it's getting warmer all the time. And we're trying to do different trellising techniques, um, meaning like the way that you're like – training the vines um, in order to shade the fruit a little bit more so it doesn't get as cooked by the sun. Um, so there, there's a lot of kind of things we're playing around with to um, to try to make um, kind of the growing season longer. Because um, if you're when, as soon as it gets warm, um, you kind of have to you're picking those you're picking the fruit fast as soon as it gets hot. So any way to sort of like keep the keep the grapes on the vine longer, will help de- develop those flavors more. So we're looking for ways to shade the fruit so we don't have to pick it if a heat wave comes. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so you're there, and you mentioned the name Sarah Gott. Um, Joel's wife? Joel's wife, Sarah. 
so so you met you met Sarah. Where, so how'd you you met Sarah and then she introduced you to Joel? Where was Joel working at the time? So Joel's background was in catering um, and uh, restaurants and um, like. The- I listen. I that's another light bulb. I'm, doing. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, is is this God's road side? Yep, it is. <laughs> I was like, oh wow, and I looked Google it and like him and his brother. I was like, oh shit. Um, so. Um, yep. Before famous, we dive into it, for the ahi burgers, yeah, you know, yeah, the ahi burgers. So yep. like, so yeah, so obviously you've been there a number of times, right? Once or twice. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm familiar. Oh, you, yeah, you. That's right. You. When did you become a pescatarian? Uh, I, I grew up that way. Yeah. Okay. So I can't tell you about the burgers. So you, so I, I know you about can't the settle the In and Out versus God's Roadside Burger. Oh, sorry. Damn. They're selling the uh, the Impossible oh, Burger now too, though. So I. You know, <laughs> a lot of that stuff is sus. It's more so because it's so processed to me. Like I'm like, is it's, that better than right. grass fed beef? Actually, yep. you know what I mean. Like, like no, I because I, I was I I was I was that kind of uh, vegetarian vegan where I was you know the all the Morningstar stuff and the late OOs yeah. and I realized like, is that actually? I mean, you know. But anyway, um, but Thanks. that is good. I mean, but uh, you know, California. I love the ahi burger. The the habit had a good ahi tuna sandwich. Yep. You know, we love our fish out there. Yeah, um, we fresh. have a lot of good, a lot of good, yeah, fresh fish and oysters and yeah, yeah California is pretty. So, so yeah, so he's he's doing that. He's in, in catering. His wife is so this is good enough. So his wife was actually a winemaker. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I learned. That's the first few years. You know, I really learned a lot. Um, you know, working working under her. Um, so you worked with her at Phelps, and then um, what'd she say? Psh, 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 we're starting <laughs> our thing over here. Well, they yeah, they were doing their thing, um, but it was pretty small at the time. Um, but they were having their first child, um, and it was a harvest baby because, of course, you know, if you're gonna have a kid, you might as well do it during harvest, right? Just uh-huh. make everything more complicated. <laughs> Just make it harder. Um, yeah. So then um, they invited me to come help them um, so they could get through the. Harvest baby, and then I I loved what I was doing. Um, I really enjoyed um, meeting all the people that I was meeting through that opportunity. Um, you know, I was through the twenty years that I was with Joel Got Wines. I was making wine all over the world, all over California, Oregon, Washington, and I really got to meet a lot of great people, and I learned so much along the way. So I'm super appreciative about all of that. So let's unpack all that. So um, you're there, Harvest Baby. What what? wine were they making that how many wines were they making that first vintage do you remember um i think it was about three okay. um we were doing a amador county zinfandel um a california cabernet and a sauvignon blanc okay and um tell me about it why why amador county's in for that first one why, um is, is the, you know why uh, Joel grew up in Amador County, okay. um, so that was background. His dad um, was the winemaker at Montevina, um, so Joel grew up. Unlike me, that went to school, like for the learning the science background of it. Like you know, he was super impressionable, driving tractors around and playing around the cellar as a kid, which is awesome. And so you start learning that, like you know, he learned that passion as a, at a young age of um, being around wine from um, growing up around it. Okay, so she's. Um, in full on harvest baby mode. Um, you had learned from her. Um, like, were you just kind of like, okay, you got it, AJ? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really think, um, what I loved about, 
about being there and what's, you know, one of the changes that I've, that I'm, you know, currently working on now is like, I love the team, you know, I loved really taking the new staff of people and, and training people. Um, so all of my assistant winemakers I had along the way, like I, I love being able to train that next like generation of like female winemakers. Um, I wanted to kind of, you know, give back. And I, and I feel like that, you know, over those, I had 35 employees at the end, um, when I was there and, you know, now I just started leasing my own winery this year. So I have a, um, a brand new place to make wine, much smaller than what I'm used to. Um, I have a staff of three there right now, and it's it's so fun to be able to like bring that back um, and bring all that experience back to you know my own label and what I'm doing now, um, and really start you know training the next training the next people. Um, so I'm I'm all about the team. I love bringing people along, um, and I think that's one of the more like one of the things that um, you know that I get sort of like the passion from um, and that fulfillment from um, is you know, helping and training people. Yeah. So, um, how did you, uh, build out the team? Cause you ended up being VP of winemaking there, but so you get through the first harvest, uh, next year, what were you assistant winemaker? Like kind of give us the progression. Cause you were there for almost 20 years, right? 20 years. That's a long part yeah. of your life. It is a long part. <laughs> it, se- it sets the, the stage yes. for, 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 for turning tide. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, I think a lot of it was um, because I was traveling around all these different areas, all these different locations. And were they doing that? Like, like, so they started in 2003. That was, so what was their first vintage? 04, 05? Um, their first vintage was in 96. Oh, 96. Um, okay. So yeah. you started in 03. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that was my first vintage. Okay. Um, and I think um, throughout the – finding all these different growing regions is kind of what started making – kind of our staff grow too. So, um, you know, building a, building a team up in Napa area. But then as we started seeing, wow, there's actually a a lot of really good fruit in the central coast and good value too. You know, unfortunately there's a lot of great, like I was talking about Sauvignon Blanc in, um, in Napa, but land values are so expensive there. Um, and there's not, you know, that much, that much, um, land left. So, it's really hard to find property. Um, so, you know, realizing there's some great climate areas in the central coast that's really not as well known. You know, it's not um it's not Napa. So you're able to we were able to find more um more good quality fruit, you know, to put in those to put in those value blends um uh, the further sort of south I started going um into the central coast. So then I built a team down there. So we would have a vineyard and winemaking team um uh in the other areas that we were working in um, and then started kind of going into Oregon and Washington. Um, and then I built a little team up in Oregon as well to make all the wines up there. Um, so kind of as, you know, as I was spreading out, looking for more vineyards and more opportunities, um, that's kind of how we started creating these little like satellite um, kind of wine, um, wine groups, wine yeah, people. Wine sells. Wine. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, wine super sells, exactly. Um, <laughs> Back to my favorite word. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> what's, uh, what's CCF mean again? <laughs> so you're building out these teams. Um, where do you think you're – like what was your philosophy? So you did mention one – you seem very mission-driven, values-driven. So – Obviously, with with your CCOF, (laughs) 
um, turning tide wines, but you also said um, empowering the next generation of female winemakers. Like, how did you, you're, you're building out a team kind of like, what was your philosophy or did you read, like I say, but like, did you read a leadership book? Like, you know, like there's a good book out now by Rudy on hospitality, like, or just, if just something natural, like how did you be like, what was your, you're putting together team? Yeah, I think there's a lot of instinct involved. Um, it was a lot of, um, you know, what, what do like we back to your earlier question, like what did the younger person, like what did, what did me of 20 years ago wish that I had more of? And I think, you know, kind of looking back to that of, okay, this is, you know, um, a way that I can, yeah, a way that I can give back, um, a way that I can kind of, you know, teach what I was taught. Um, and yeah, part of kind of passing your knowledge on from generations. It's how you, you know, your legacy lives on, I guess, that way. You don't have a group, uh, like 20 silly ass questions you ask me? <laughs> Not like yours. Yeah. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. Like, <laughs> As you expand. Although I'm going to need to start doing that. <laughs> As you expand Turning Tide and, and the AJ label. I'm going to send you a new list. <laughs> Your, yours were a little tricky. <laughs> um, so when was the first time for the GOTS you, you went overseas on a project? Because so, like I said, you did a project in Argentina, Chile. Like I know you'd been to Australia before, but when was the first time you was getting that money? And yeah. Going, going work? Um, I think uh, – yeah. I would say one of the main places that I spent the most time at was um, in Argentina, and I think that's kind of where I where I started learning a lot too. Um, when you part of why I loved um, going to these different wine regions is that you're taking that information back, so you're always you're always learning. And each, even though each region is totally different, that's what makes you learn. Like, why would you do it this way? And so asking a million questions. Why are you growing your grapes like this? Why do you put these um, in a, in Argentina? They have um, they get these like crazy hailstorms in the summertime, so they have to put on um, this sort of like sheet cloth um, to protect the grapes from these hailstorms. Um, so it's just interesting, different um, the way they make their malbec down there. Um, the malbec is really nice from Argentina. Um, the climate um, is just sort of like in tune to it. Um, and they don't have, um, you know, a lot of their, you know, we call them clones, but, you know, a lot of their clones, the the um, the type of Malbec they have down there um, is just unique. To, you know, we can't, like, take that and replicate that. But I think that's cool. You know, that's what really, like, gives you, like, that sense of place. Um, and so I think, you know, building my, like, Turning Tide wines, you know, I'm really looking for, like, this sense of place of, like, you can't make this flavor from anywhere else. Like, this is really the spot. Um, where you can just you can taste like the soil and the environment and like what's what's really there. Um, I think that a lot. Of, I think I learned a lot of that from from traveling around. Um, you know, Cabernet in one place tastes totally different from Cabernet in a different place, and I think that's what makes it really unique and interesting. And then, what was the uh, project in Chile? Also, Cab stuff. Uh, it was Pinot. It was Pinot from the coast. Really? Yeah, from the Leda region of Chile. Um, and it was very similar to what we would think of in our sort of Sonoma coast. Um, the climate in Chile, you know, Chile is just sort of a flip flop of California. Yeah, I've been told that. Yeah, so it's very similar, um, similar soil, similar climate. Um, but that being said, because of um, the plant material and the water, and there's still so many things that are unique to just to just those regions. Um, so Leda, even though it might look like Sonoma Coast, 
the, the pinots still taste a lot different. What 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 are some of the differences? Um, I really like some of the, like the rusticness, um, and I think it could be some of the um, the volcanic soils too that they have there. Um, you know, whatever's the minerals that are in their water, but there was just like this. It just felt it was like it was alive um, and rustic and um, the textural. Um, I thought it was it was super interesting and different. Italy was that Italian varietals or was that just more like super Tuscan stuff like Merlot, Cab, and Italy? What what, what were you working with there? Um, that was interesting because I was actually um, with I went over there. Um, with this company that kind of Bridget here now works with. Um, and we were the first um, winery to actually package in Tetra Packs. Um, so it was Joel's partner, Roger Scaminia, uh, that I was in Italy with. Um, and we were um, learning how to do these Tetra Pack wines because um, the Tetra Packs, um, you can, they're much lighter to um, uh, to ship, meaning like you can carry more than glass. Um, so it was, a, it was a way to be sustainable. Um, so we brought Tetra Packs what back. What the hell to is it. a Tetra Pack? I mean, <laughs> it's like your wines. soy milk box. Yeah. It's like your... That's that's, what I, yeah, okay. Yep. And so they're totally recyclable too. Oh. So having that lightweight packaging is like all key to sustainability. And that's what I'm doing on my Turning Tide wines as well. Like, you know, back when I was right when I was like learning and... Napa, um, you have these like really heavy, like big bottles, right? I'm so like, bad for them. I love a heavy bottle. Just, <laughs> see, but that's part set, of the, the problem. Pun, <laughs> and, uh, the whole thing, you know, the 55 milliliter cork. I mean, it's so just. Like, I get it. It has the romantic. The romantic. I mean, I, it, I, like, I know it's. I, I, I'm a bad person, everybody, but it did so true. Like it's like oh. You know, you pick up a uh, bottle of wine, you go to pour it, yeah, and you realize it's empty. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so heavy. It's so stuff. heavy. Yeah, exactly. But she's so humble, though, because they, that was really the people that brought that over. Yeah. You know, thank you. I should have got, got Bridget and Mike here. Because, no, I mean, let's, so let's seriously, like, talk about, like, this is, like, a, a key part of, like, we have plenty of time, just so you know. We're going to get to turn time. But, like, again, this sets the stage. Like, I've seen Tetra Pak. I've, I've seen, I've, I could, I'm like, she talking about like the box wine thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, come on, yep. man. Like, yep. talk about talk about how exciting it was in Italy to do what you were doing, and why and why was it Italy? Why did that come out of Italy? Um, tell her about Raj too, and like, yeah, right, exactly. Raj, you went there to watch Raj. You guys are like, yeah. Yeah, this is a great episode because everybody's gonna be like, who's that woman in the back? I can't hear it. Like MJ, no, it's so funny. It's I, I kind of want it to be that way. It's yeah. like, it, 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 like it adds a little bit more. It, it, it's like people are like, what's going on? She just got her a mic. But yeah, thank you, Bridget, for because I'm like, you're just kind of, I get it. But like, that's a big deal, right? If we're talking about sustainability, if we're talking about climate change. It sounds like you were spearheading that in the state. So, who's this guy, Roger? Who's Joel's partner? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, um, Roger and Joel. That they were like this. My second day of working at Joel Got Wines, I met this guy, Roger, um, and Joel sends me over like, go meet up with my partner, and you know, you're gonna go out to Lodi and bottle jugs. And I'm thinking, like, I was just making insignia at Joseph Phelps. And then now I'm going to I know. See, that's nothing. I, I, I was like, do I have to, like, I'm gonna I have to throw a pally oops to her all the time? Like, you worked at Phelps. Like, yeah, like, talk about insignia, you know? Like, I'm trying to be. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, you know, she's like, and then I worked there. Yeah. And I'm happy. And you are happy. But, like, yeah. So, 
we'll get back to Fels, but okay, so you meet Rogers' partner, right? And and that also I think that's interesting because there's always I don't know if it's always, but there's always like there's like a money guy and a business guy and there's yeah. and there's a creative guy. Yeah. Um and this business I mean it can work, but like it works so much better when you got like some some guy with money who believes in what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um so Roger was his partner did Roger have a winemaking background? Did he come from a different field? Did he just No, he was a dot comer and so yeah, yeah. he right. <laughs> you called it. Um but no, he's super creative and I think that was Where did he work? That was a lot of Was he of, like an uh, early uh Dell AOL cuz like Real, I mean, realtor.com maybe you've heard of them. <laughs> so it was home store. Home okay. store. <laughs> yeah. Into realtor.com. Yeah, yep. she, and she was like and then I met I was I was I met this I met Angie. She's from Ohio. <laughs> Fucking Angie's list, you know. Yeah. She doesn't know her, but this is how this is like what this car yeah, is basically. like. <laughs> she, this is, she, yeah, it's, it's not a flex. No, she, we're, we're telling your story because the people like people yep. want to know how you got here, and it's like, yeah, sure. all right, so 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 yeah, realtor.com. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So we. Um, and he's a dreamer. He's like a genius dreamer. Sorry, continue. No. So he. Uh, so I, I got to know him in this um, uh, as as Joel's partner and about a month later, um, you know, still 23, like when I started. Um, and Roger's like, I want to go to Italy. There's this conference called Vin Italy. I'm going to go buy some wine. And Joel was like, I don't trust this guy. Like he doesn't know anything about wine. You better go with him and be his handler basically, yep. which is what she, she was. <laughs> I was, Roger. I was Roger's handler. Um, so I had to go make sure that he didn't buy wine. That Vin Italy, good. one of the biggest. <laughs> yeah. Wine, what is it? Expo? What is it called? Oh my god, it's huge! It's yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's it's honestly a very over the top drunk fest. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, but it's, I mean, that there's wine Italian, that happens, so it's like, and it's in Europe. Yeah, and um, drinking and right. having fun. Okay, and, so so okay, so <laughs> so, so you're, that's where we went over to meet with people to figure okay. out where can we package this? Where can we make Tetra packs with like delicious? Um, we started with Trebbiano. Um, delicious wine from like northern Italy that just like, you know, good fun table wine, and that's what the that's what Europeans do so well, I think. Now, I'm gonna get into this, but why is it? They're really good box wine comes from like Italy, Spain too. Spain's got like sick old vine, Monastrell. Uh, what's that wine? Viera, old, the, the, like, like, these, like these incredible old vine wines and boxes. Why is that? Why are we behind here? Well, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to like to somebody like really, that wants a really big, heavy bottle and a big punt. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, no, I mean the same reason that what you saying? <laughs> the same reason that screw caps took a while to to sort of like take off. Everybody thought it was cheap. You know, it felt it. You know, I mean, I it is cheap, but you know what? Less cork taint, and it's easier to like. I can screw that years, back on yeah. and put it in my bag and not worry right? about leaking. Yep, and you, can bring you go. It on a boat. Yep, mm-hmm. yeah. you don't have to remember your corkscrew. Yeah, some people have a hard time. Like, I mean, I, yeah. you know, corks aren't always easy to, no, you know, to pull t- out. So this is, you know, screw caps make it so it's easy for people. Um, and touch your packs for the same way. Like, now was that his idea? Camping, did, did did he? So did you go over there? With the Tetro Pack, like how did like did how did Tetro Pack? That's that was right. Bridget's boss Roger's idea. Okay, to go, to go with was, the Tetro Packs. He was passionate about. He's very passionate about bringing that over to the United States. Okay, so it was it was it was existing over there, and, and you guys okay. 
went to bring it back. Okay. So continue. You're at Vin Italy, you're eating and drinking, you're you're What's the word? Roger. Yeah, I don't want to say babysitting. I want Roger to be, be, be offended. No physical. He won't. Yeah, yeah. He would, yeah. He yeah, yeah but yeah, but, yeah, babysitting by a twenty-three-year-old. Yep. Somehow I was the I was the babysitter right. in that relationship. Um, and so, like, you you uh, what did you guys uh, put in Tetra Packs from there and bring back over? So we ended up putting in um, some really fun northern Italian uh, Tribbiano Tribbiano, white wine. Um, And then once we learned and figured out the technology, uh, we packaged it in the U.S. Um, So we started packaging. um, We did a Cabernet. um, And, yeah, I remember trying to figure out because it was at a a company that they hadn't packaged wine before. Um, They were packaging soy milk and they were packaging soups and and all these different things. and so I had to figure out with this, with this kind of you know packaging company, um, how we take wine through that process. Um, so that was pretty cool. That was um, that was one of those fun things, like the opportunities that that I had because we did so many different like crazy ideas incorporated, you know. But then I had to kind of okay send AJ off to go figure out how to get this done. Like what? Um, so yeah, so this is this is where that science stuff comes in. So like, right, what, what yep, are some of the exactly. challenges you you initially faced? Um, trying to make sure that we keep kind of those oxygen levels low um, because that wasn't as important for soups and soy milk. But in in, um, in wine, when you're you know bottling, you do want to make sure that you're that you're keeping your oxygen levels low um, as you're bottling. So not a lot of air. You know, you're trying to like prevent any any air from getting in because air will age your wine. Um, so trying to figure out along the process of okay, how do we you know how do we do that? How do we make sure that we're not you know, picking up oxygen along the way. Um, yeah, super cool, interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and they, I mean, again, she's being super humble. We came a brand, brand called Bandit, mm-hmm. which was a pretty big, right? And okay, yeah, I've seen yeah, Bandit, so like, yeah. at my local Whole Foods. And Whole Foods was... That was how, that was how Bandit why, started. Why, why, should, should I just... Uh, very humble. I know you're humble. I'm trying, but to, I'm trying to get it out of her. Like Bridge is so funny. <laughs> I should get another mic. I'm, I'm, like, I'm, like a, I'm gonna like have diarrhea. Of the mouth, yeah. I just want to like. Yeah, no. That's listen. why we didn't give her a mic. That's exactly. Right. Well, listen, we should have, and it's all good um, because I think it's great. Uh, your humility is it's wonderful. People should be humble, and you know this is how pe- people like. You're a fucking badass. People need to know. That's what that she is. Okay. Um, so, you know, that's why we're here to tell your story. And yeah, so, 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 yeah. So, like, like it's not in the bio. It's not about bandit. No, no, no. no. <laughs> and then that became a TV show. Like, for a nanosecond. Yeah. For a nanosecond. And, and it was a TV oh, show, was a TV show? Yeah. Tell us about the TV show. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't she in it. part of the TV show. Yeah. But then, like, what you, what she doesn't. What she's very humble about is it became an entire category. She started an entire category of 500 ml, one liter Tetra Pak 
And that was really because of Raj and you and what you guys and, and Joel. And I'm just going to interview PR people from now on. <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? No, so, no, Us so, winemakers no, are you know, like that's behind not the true. scenes That's people. not true. You're, you're, super, you're just super humble and kind she of shy. Is, that's all. She's I mean, bra- yeah. She, she's, doesn't, she's not bragging. You, she's yeah, it's not. But it's not bragging. It's, I mean, it's you, like you created a freaking category. Yeah. Why should people buy your wines? Because I created a whole category. Yeah, because I'm a bad bitch. Yeah. That's a mic drop. Um, so that's amazing. Um, still see Bannett. It's still in Whole Foods, blah, blah, blah. And, and that deal makes sense because they're about whole planet and sustainability. So they're looking, yeah. you know, um, and I don't know, like, I would have never known you were involved that way. I mean, I, you, I mean, listen, you said it. Screw caps, box. I've had, you know, but the immediate the mind goes, ah, that shit is cheap. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, that's just where our mind goes. The perception that we yep. have to change, I yep. think. Um, it's Even not- though Plump Jacks had a screw cap since like, I don't know, 99 mm-hmm. or some shit, crazy shit like that, 2000. I mean, good for them for being one of the leaders you know? of trying to, you know, change that perception. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> after you create a whole new category of wine, uh, what did they, what did, what, what was the project or what was the, the project in France you worked on? Was that What's that? Was that Shatter? Um, there's a couple different ones. Oh, there. oh, freaking yeah. a! Because I was gonna say, so I'm reading this. <laughs> <sighs> you know, guys, this is how this show goes. It's just a conversation. You guys know that. It mm-hmm. just this is what it is. I, I didn't want to get Bridget because Bridget Bridget would steal the show from me, even, <laughs> which I love. Um, um, but um. I'm I'm looking at this Argentina, Chile, Italy, France. I'm like, who the fuck? You're like, the only person who does this shit is uh, Dave Finney. Yeah. And then Bridget goes, Shatter, which was the Cote de Catalan Grenache that Joel did with Dave Finney. So you yep. worked on Shatter? Yeah. So we we bottled it in the U.S. <laughs> and so my team and I um, worked on a yes. Okay. So why would why would Joel Gott want to team up with Dave Finney? <laughs> what did Bridget say? Yeah, I just, I'm, not, <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm looking at. I, she said nothing. Yeah, simple girl from the Midwest. Exactly, simple girl from. Um, no, I think. I, I mean, I think it's uh, also about friendship. Some of this stuff is like, of course, you want to you want to like work on projects with people that you enjoy, right, right. and like you don't need to be out there. Like, um, you know, I didn't put my name on the bottle here, although I do have a bottle called AJ, but. <laughs> Um, but you want to be out there. It's supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be having a good time and working with people that, you know, share what you want to do. And yeah, somebody might be a little bit more creative and somebody might have a little bit more of the, you know, financial or production side. But generally, I mean, you're, that's kind of what he, he did what he did too. Yeah. I mean. So what happens? He gets us. So Dave Finney, um, is, was, uh, was he was, he was the original prisoner. Yes. The original prisoner. I have to state that. That guy's a machine. He sold so many brands. Um, yeah, yeah. Just because I have to tell people that because so, that was a winemaker's wine when it first started. It was he was young. He got bought whatever grapes. It was it was really good. He just bought whatever he could, and he threw it together. It was it was in the tradition of like mixed blacks, old old vine field blends is what it was. Um, and then he sold that, and then he did locations because he liked to travel. So he mm-hmm. he did wines. Argent, you know, and he did an AR, an NZ, an F, an I, you know, for Italy, France. Um, and then he, he had so much money, so he was down in France somewhere, and uh, and uh, he just saw this Grenache, these old vine Grenache, 
and it's like black citrus soils or so, soil. You know, yeah, I mean, super rocky. So you, so you, yeah. so 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 he goes. You know, Joel, their friends. He's like, oh, I, you know, we should do a wine together. And and then and Joel goes, you need to go look at this crazy soil. So what? How did? What was this like? How did it go down? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think that was one of the um, one of the you know fun wines that was something totally different. I think because the vines were. Um, they were struggling in this like rocky soil. So your um, you, the vines are the the grapes are super concentrated, you know, when they're struggling like that. So you have this wine that was, you know, big and bright and bold and you know from a whole different um, from a whole different region. That's yeah, super unique. Like back to you know every every area every you know vineyard, um, you know should really show like we're where the grapes are grown and that one really shows that's super unique to to that area we're you know what we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pause here we're gonna get alisa aj to show her super uniqueness when we come back from this break so we'll be right back okay we're back and bridge is talking again she probably heard that that's all good um ooh, um we're talking about rocky soils and sense of place. Um, what did Time you for just, some Pinot. What, yeah, what did you just pour me? I just poured you my brand new wine um, called Rare North. Um, and this really, um, really highlights Willamette, the Willamette, damn it. Willamette Valley. Exactly. I, I, have, I have to say it that way. I'm from Jersey. I was like, Willamette. Willamette. <laughs> You're like, yep. it's Amit, If you go to Oregon, it. you have to say Willamette. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the Willamette Valley is super interesting. Um, it's one of the few um, rivers that actually flows north, and so that's part of the uh, the rare north concept. But also, I mean, what what's so cool and crazy about Oregon and why I love Oregon Pinot um, really is the climate up there. You know, it's it's um, all of the soils come down from the Missoula floods. Um, there's a ton of um, volcanic soils, lots of like nutritious sediment from those floods from you know, ancient back in the day floods, um, and it makes like the wine Noah super unique. The Ark <laughs> way back Jesus then, yep, back then. all the way back then. <laughs> it's the only back in the day flood I know about. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, no, that's really cool. So, so um, I wanted to highlight Willamette as a region, mm-hmm. um, and I think that my turning tide. I have um, I have a regional Eola Amity, like very site driven, very site specific. Um, love that wine. But I wanted to really highlight the the whole region, um, and so I'm working on a vineyard up there um, that I help farm in the Mount Pisgah AVA, the brand new Mount Pisgah AVA. Um, speaking of Noah and the floods, Mount Pisgah was an old um, some I guess it's somewhere where like Noah landed or something like that. Is that I don't know. Is that, <laughs> I mean, a, when I, I'm older than you, but they did this like search for Noah's Ark, like it landed on yeah. a mountain. Is that <laughs> the mountain like that. Or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, I wanted to highlight the whole area because I think the Oregon Pinot is so unique and so much different. You know, a lot of people say, you know, you're from California. Why aren't you making a California Pinot? Um, I just really think that it's – it. Um, I think that they're super unique. And the fact that the Oregon is so much further north, they have these really long days. And that daylight, that sunlight um, – Really creates these super complex wines along with all the all the soil driven terroir they have up there. All right, so um, <clears throat> what was the uh, 
impetus or what? I don't know if impetus is the right word, but why turning tide? What, why are we like now? Why, why was 2018 the time to do it? Um, 2018 was actually I started with um, an organ Pinot Noir um, in 2018. And because I had this opportunity to buy this fruit that I thought was amazing. Um, Oregon is like the original sustainability place. It's um, uh, because of the amount of rainfall it gets, you really don't have to irrigate. So you're not, you know, pulling water from precious resources. Um, and the the farmer was farming in an organic and regenerative way in ways that, you know, I really like, I really jived with. And I think some of the best things that happen in life are things that are more spontaneous, that you're not, you know, Thank God you're about. here, Bridget. <laughs> I know, right? She's spontaneous, right? <laughs> I am just spontaneous. <laughs> I'm a type A spontaneous person. Um, so... So it just sort of naturally happened. You know, it was something that it found me. Um, this vineyard found me. I thought it was a great, amazing fruit, and I really wanted to, you know, play with my winemaking skills and see how I could uh, take that and kind of highlight the region. Were you, like you said, it was kind of like uh, serendipitous. I mean, did you know? I mean, obviously, in the back of your head, you want to make wine, but, but was that were you were you prospecting when you went up there, or you just no? It was fell. Uh, it literally kind of fell up stumbled upon it i stumbled upon that vineyard i really thought um i mean i was always prospecting for joel got wines i was always looking for new regions and looking for new fruit and new opportunities um for the for the wines for joel got wines um and so sometimes you would find you know things that didn't fit into that um did you find that when you were making your pinot gris yeah with she made a pinot gris for target and that i sold and that she that's how I got to know Bridget because the buyer was from Oregon and that's and she okay so let's let's talk about thanks Bridget for that because that give me the context um yeah so, so as I was up there looking for sort of Pinot Gris blends and vineyards to, to put into a Pinot Gris blend um I found this um Pinot Noir vineyard so had you had turning tides in your back pocket waiting for the right moment like let's talk about the name your what how it aligns with your values yeah well something that was very personal and actually the first um the first vintage of that wine i i named after my grandmother that was um as i was talking about she's really the one that inspired me to you know kind of don't have fear. You don't know how to swim when you're 65. Jump in and, you know, get in the ocean, <laughs> the most dangerous part of, like, California. Um, and so my actual, my first vintage, actually, I still um, have a little bit of that wine left just to kind of for um, for her memory. But um, I, I named it after her, Irene. Um, Turning Tide, I really started um, evolving when I realized this is a wine that I'm going to get behind. And I want to make a Chardonnay that also – balances. So I started making a, a Chardonnay um, that balanced my um, Turning Tide Pinot. Um, and I think part of that was, you know, I realized that this was going to be something that was like my my passion and my personality. Um, and Turning Tide really is a reflection on my love for the ocean. My, you know, I've talked about scuba diving a lot. Um, I love paddleboarding. I love being around the water. But also all the vineyards are water influenced. Um, all of my wines are low in alcohol. And part of that is because, you know, I'm growing everything. All the vineyards are coming from regions that are 
very close to the ocean, meaning it has a moderating effect. Um, so it's not so hot. So it's a it's a cool. They're cooler regions because of the ocean's. She's moderating not effect. saying diurnal. Thank you for not saying that. <laughs> I'm not that much of a wine geek. <laughs> I love my wines. But. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so um, and part of this. Like we're going back to everything, like to the Tetra Pak, to like is turning the tide of of climate change. Is that kind so of so? That's exactly okay. um, starting starting with my passion for the water, wanting to make sure that I am protecting waterways. So all the vineyards, very first thing I wanted to I wanted to do was to make sure none of my vineyards were um, farmed with farmed with um, glyphosate. So like okay. Roundup weed killer. Because um, that's something that does get into the waterways, and so I was really wanting to make sure we're not going to use any any harmful pesticides or herbicides that are going to get into the water. Okay. Um, and so that was like the original like kind of north star, and then I, I grew from there to um, you know certify organic and and that. But it really came from making sure I wanted to protect the waterways. Um, so turning the tide on climate change by turning the tide on the way that we're farming and the way that we're um, looking to protect our you know water for future generations because water is our is our life water is our lifeblood yeah um it was it was dry here on the east coast like 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 i didn't have to well i didn't have to cut my grass for like a month which was kind of cool yeah Yeah. Uh but i'm that guy because i lived in california like most people weren't one but you see the person who's wearing the lawn i'm like fucking dick are you kidding me like that's water don't you know what's going on in the world so you could have a green lawn like everybody else's lawn is brown, we're okay with it. Like you could have your like. I was like, "Wow, you're a dick." <laughs> like it's like not even like to make something for grass, right? Yeah, yeah. Not even weed grass, just grass. <laughs> <laughs> just, I mean, just, uh, yeah, just yeah, you know. Exactly. <laughs> it's not even, the right grass. Yeah, the come grass. on, man. Um, the, right, the right grass yeah, could be a, yeah, a accepting uh, you know, I, of. Yeah. Listen, man. That's a sustainable plant. Um, <laughs> so, first of all, this Pinot, I have to say, like, so I am 54, so I came, I was, like, in the height of Parker. Big wines, big flavor, big fruit. How the, is this so tasty at 13? Just the color, the the, the extraction of the color, the fruit is really sweet, but it's a dry wine, but the fruit is mm-hmm. really sweet. Beautiful. Per- I mean, I, I get all the perfume, but like like how sweet black cherry fruit this is at 13% alcohol is astounding yeah. to me. Yeah, thank you. I think that's exactly what I saw, um, kind of being in, that, being in that Napa world, kind of growing up in the wine industry, in that big wines, high alcohol, like let's put it in the fermenter for two months and just like extract everything we can. Um, Playing shaggy boom bastic <laughs> in the winery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, they call me Mr. Boombastic. <laughs> All those cult wines racking up the scores. <laughs> yep. Boom, boom. All right. <clears throat> Um, what were you talking about? We were talking about like we you saw you saw you saw all these you know the boom bap of wine and you know the 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 beats by Dr. Dre of wine and uh, mm-hmm. you said can we just can we just turn that down to like an eight 
and it'll still be good or whatever. Yep. I'm just giving you, you know. Yep, yep, totally. Well, I think those high alcohols like really, really um, don't showcase the fruit very well. And so I actually lower alcohols, I think, brings out some of the savoriness. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the big ripe fruit, and I think that's part of it is just because I think it's been it's been done. I want to try something different. Um, so the lower alcohols do show a little bit more of that spice and savoriness. And yeah, it's like a licorice anise thing on the nose for sure. But I've always said grape is a fruit. I need some fruit in it. Yeah. <laughs> you need some fruit. Yeah. For sure. Um, that, exactly. Um, but I also wanted some of the some of the spiciness too. And I think. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. You're, you're kind of balancing all those things um, in order to make it a, a make it a food wine. You know, those big high alcohol wines like. They really aren't food wines. Sure they are. <laughs> with, with a burger. You don't oh, eat with burgers. Oh, burger. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm like, yeah, or some duck. Yeah, anything. Ri- I mean, I, I go in, man. Um, yeah. To my – to. Um, but I – I for me, it's does it's not about how much alcohol. It's does the wine taste good, right? Because I think there's people who are, who are picking too fucking early just yeah. to make oh, a point. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Weirdos. Ag- agreed. <laughs> Yeah, you still have to have some sort of flavor. Yeah, you know, there's still. Yeah. I always, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't. Flavor comes from the vine. You can't do anything in your fermentation. Right. You know, hot, cold, however you right. want to ferment, right. however many punch downs you want to do. Right. You're not going to find flavor in there if it doesn't exist. So, I think that's what happens when you pick too early. They they become like very one dimensional, and so really like finding that sweet spot of you know not too ripe but not too early is you know what I've been trying to do. And what's interesting is, so what's your what's your total case production right now across how many SKUs? I mean, I've actually, like, surprisingly, I think I did 3,000 cases this year. Okay. Which is, you know, That's, for really being my, my first year um, out doing my nice. own business. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. And uh, I've had your Chenin Blanc. Amazing. Yes. That's right. We I had it at dinner. We had yes. some uh, fun Asian Chinese food, food yeah. yep. last time yep. I was yes, in town. Yes, we did. We had duck. You should have been here. <laughs> I would have given you mine. <laughs> yeah. I would have ate it. <laughs> and the roast pork. Oh, but we did get some scallops and shrimp for it. I was like, oh, yeah. 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 Um, so good. And the shinna was perfect beans, with that. Oh, man. And the sauteed green beans. Mm-hmm. I still remember those. Yeah. <laughs> A pig pole? Um, oh, yeah. Did you bring the pork? I didn't pork? have it then. You didn't have it then. I made a bunch of new wines okay. this year. All right. You know, same address. You can send it to me. I know where you live. Yeah, you know where I live. Harmon. Yep. Somebody hooked me up. Yep. Um, <laughs> I know. Well, I'm out here because my uh, my distributor, um, Harmon and Michael Skernick, um, had a wine tasting yesterday. Um, and so I was out showcasing some of my new wines. So these are two of my new wines that they wanted me to come pour and show off. Nice. So you're at like 3,000 across like um, – you, you, I know you have – how many different Pinots do you have? Um, so I have a Turning Tide Pinot that is yep. my Eel Amity yep. Pinot, my um, my single vineyard Pinot, yep. and then the Rare North is okay. the Willamette Valley Pinot. Okay. Um, and then I made a, a Cabernet and a Sauvignon Blanc that are certified organic. Those are the um, AJ. So those are those are these two. This one, yep. um, certified organic from the Central Coast. Um, and then I have a red and white blend. So the Chenin Blanc is the base of my white blend. Um, I also blend a little bit of Verdeo into it, which is from my personal vineyard um, in the San Ynez Valley. And it's um, – <laughs> it's a uh, – Will Flex. <laughs> um, Congratulations, that's a really fun though, line. That's, that's Thank cool. you. Thank yeah. you. Um, fun to be a landowner. Yeah. 
Um, and then my red wine, the base of that is um, also from that same vineyard that's uh, Grenache and Movedra that I picked together, ferment together. And it's kind of inspired from traveling through the Rhone area where you just have these like delicious you know, crafts of wine on your table. And it's like simple and light and refreshing and, you know, goes well with lunch and, you know, lower in alcohol. Yeah. So – You make a wine for Target. <laughs> you did Bandit. Yeah, I helped Bridget with that uh, many um, years ago. That was years ago, yeah. Yeah. Joel Gott is a pretty big winery. Um, I've heard. Uh-huh. Yeah, how many cases were they, were they doing <laughs> when you left? I mean, I, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Yeah, so You could try. <laughs> um, but I know it's, it's probably it's, it's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of cases of wine. And then, like, so how does that inform – the site-specific stuff you're doing now. Yeah, so I think that's a lot of what I what I saw is there's all these, like, super amazing areas. And I thought it was cool, and it was a great opportunity to make these blends. And so, you know, Joel Got Wine World, it was like, how can I make the best California blend possible of Sauvignon Blanc? And that was by finding, um, finding fruit in all these different regions. So, you know, Lake County, I got some lemon lime from Lake County, and I got some, like, Tropical notes from the Central Coast, mm-hmm. and you know I made these blends together. But the cool thing about Turning Tide is now I'm highlighting each of the regions a little bit more specifically, and it really felt like um, the Central Coast, um, you know, specifically had so many great um, kind of little microclimates that really haven't been discovered yet. Um, and so I wanted to show them off, and that's part of what I was doing with uh, with Turning Tide. Um, and then I created these two more value brands because I also don't feel like I don't want to necessarily, um, you know, scare people off by being that wine geek. You know, I, I want to say, like, you don't have to know about all these different AVAs to love wine. Or what CCOF means. Either. <laughs> you don't have so, to know what that is know. either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so I wanted to highlight these, you know, my brand new wine that I didn't mention yet is called AJ, my Cabernet from California. And then the uh, Rare North is sort of that that um, other piece of the value wine from Oregon. And these are supposed to be wines that are fun, that are wines you can have every day and wines that you have with your friends. And, you know, you don't have – you can talk about what you taste in it, but you can also just enjoy it and, you know, have fun. So that's sort of the difference between the two um, um, wines. What what percentage of the population think actually gives a shit about like bricks terroir and, and terroir and, and <laughs> jewelry soil? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably not that many. Yeah, and I don't want to. I think that wine needs to be more inclusive. I think that wine should be open for everybody. I think that you know we have. I want to talk about because I, I can be a wine geek sometimes, and I do want to talk yeah. about those things in yeah. Turning Tide and that that passion of it. But I also want to make sure that you know I have wines that are. You know, just drink it. If you like it, enjoy it. And it doesn't matter if you don't know what jewelry soils are. So that's a lot of um, kind of the other piece of what I want to do. And with with sustainability, it is part of, like, you need to have – you need that value. Um, you can't be sustainable if you're really expensive. You can't, you know, kind of afford it. But then also it's part of um, – it's part of being um, inclusive, I think, is having some more value wines. I would debate that with you. I think you can be oh, yeah. more <clears throat> more sustainable the more you cost, actually. Because <laughs> the luxury doesn't go on sale, right? So, like, that's why a lot of people come out the box that way. But I appreciate what you're saying, mm-hmm. 100%. But, yeah, I mean, that's the flip side. 
I'm not a fan of, hey, I made all this dot-com money. I'm going to have a Napa Cali Cabernet. It's going to cost $500. My first mm-hmm. vintage. I hired this enologist, and I got grapes from here, and I got this winemaker. Um, I'm not I'm the hugest fan of that, but it's like, you know, it's America, and, you know, it's we're true. Americans. <laughs> you get a little wait list. You only have a little scarcity, and you'll yep. – You'll you'll never like that pizza place we tried to go to last time I was in town. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> five hour wait. Yeah, we we didn't wait five hours, <clears throat> and because I'm not that guy, I didn't want to be like, hey, I know the owner, be like, hey, man, we're here, can we get in? I was like, eh, let's just go somewhere else. <laughs> you can watch, you can listen to that show. It's a uh, season two, I believe, season two <laughs> or season three. Um, environmentally conscious farming that jumped out of me. What is ECF? Um, so that, that encompasses everything that you're doing. So I think, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, um, when you're talking about just organics, you're just talking about the farming part. But if you go into like the bigger piece of it, sustainability and more environmentally conscious of everything around you, you're, you're bringing in all these different elements. So it's not just the way that you farm. It's also making sure you're, um, protecting your worker safety. Um, that's a huge part of it, making sure you're paying your workers mm. enough. So sustainability is actually all encompassing of all these different things. Um, and I had a hard time, like, I think sustainability is one of those words that gets thrown around that's hard to define. Um, like natural wine. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is hard to define as well. <laughs> what does that mean to you? Oh, well, I mean, I had Alice firing on. I dropped that episode on Monday. It was great. Mm-hmm. She actually gave me the the the... the clearest definition i mean for at least it did have to start with organic farming but a lot of people didn't it's just like nope it's my dirty feet yep these crazy grapes not doing anything to it um yeah. at least she does have some you know but it it is literally words that get thrown around a lot <clears throat> we'll take natural wine off the table i'll give you a break natural wine <laughs> but like you said what well, sustainability you know another authenticity <laughs> Transformation. There's these words that don't mean anything that get thrown around a lot. Right. I mean, they used to mean something. So, mm-hmm. um, I was going to say, what's the difference in you kind of biodynamic versus organic, right? What's the kind of like, isn't biodynamic a little bit more in tune with nature than just organic, if I understand it correctly? Yeah, it's sort of the next level. Um, and so you're, not only are you um, watching the cycles of, of the moon, yeah. and I think we all know there is something to that. that you know, would, it, Listen, if the moon can cause hurricanes, right. it could make us do some crazy shit. I'm mm-hmm. just sorry. You know it influences tides. You can see it. Right. So it must influence other things as well. So that, Center, center, earth, surface is water. I'm not mm-hmm. – I'm just not a reach here. Children are bad shit crazy with the moon. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But um so yeah, so it's so you're watching cycles in nature. So it's a little bit more of watching cycles There's in nature. There's also no harmful pesticides, it's regenerative like like planting the right cover crops and things to help the soil. Yeah, cover something. crops and trying to try and do insert specific things in your vineyard. So um kind of like when you're drinking, you know, kombucha or something, you're trying to, you know, have natural um it's our fantasy right <laughs> so it's like the I'm, I'm hungover i'm just gonna drink some kombucha <laughs> it's natural That's what we're drinking right now. <laughs> it's natural <laughs> um but environmentally conscious if i heard you correct you're also taking in like 
wages and working conditions. Yeah, so it's and, a and, little and bit packaging more and yep, packaging. I think that is exactly that's huge. And nobody can come out of the gate. And I wanted to, I didn't want to use the word sustainability necessarily because it is thrown around a lot. And so I created my own <laughs> sort of definition um, with environmentally conscious farming. So it really should encompass um, the the social equity part of sustainability. So, I mean, there there is a real definition for sustainability. Yeah. Um, but part of it is social equity, and it is making sure that you're um, – everything that you're doing, obviously, part of Turning Tide, part of the dandelion that I have on my label is every little thing that goes into wine. There's all these pieces that go in that make the that make the bottle complete. And part of that's people. You know, part of that is, is you for, you know, helping get my message out there. Part of that's Bridget for – For helping you, (laughs) helping me help you get your message out there. (laughs) Exactly. So it's everything that that went into the color on this thing. I can't believe this is like a little 13% just Willamette. It's not even like site specific. Yeah. Uh, $25 retail. You know, like part. I want to get good wine out there to people and show them, hey, this is, you know, it could be your everyday house wine. It's got a little funk on it too. It's good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Pinot's got to have a little something. It's got to have a little something. <laughs> That's what makes it fun. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the vineyards you own. Land owning white female. <laughs> I got to say that. I never, it's the first time I ever worked into a high <laughs> That was pretty good. No. That was very she, good. <laughs> she's like, no, no, really. I'm not that. I. Well, that part I will I will give a shout out because um, when I was working with um, you know Joel Got Wines, I had 120 vineyards all over you know California and Oregon. No females, no female owner, mm-hmm. no female farm mm-hmm. manager. Mm-hmm. Um, the farming side is really challenging for for females to break into, even if even if they want to. Um, it's hard to like play in that world um, and. That's so that, that part I think is really exciting because mm-hmm. I can say like I'm a female vineyard owner mm-hmm. and there's not that many of us out there. Mm-hmm. There should be more. Mm-hmm. But that's part of um what I was saying I want to be like that, you know, hopefully be a mentor to the next female landowner. Um and yeah, you can work with um all these, you know, more kind of male cowboys and and be and you know, you show them that you are have great ideas, that you're smart, that you can work just as hard um and so that part is exciting. Uh, so I have one vineyard that's 17 acres that has my Movedra, my Grenache, my Verdeo that I make in my blends. Um, and then it has a bunch of Italian varieties, too, that we sell to um, a lot of local Italian winemakers. Um, and then my other vineyard is... I love Calatalis. Yeah. <laughs> we got some Barbera in there, some yeah. Sangiovese. I love them. We, we do. Because uh, for me, that's where, that's where California just wins because it just... Not as rustic as they can be um, traditionally um, in Italy. Um, but uh, I don't know. MJ's going to make some wine. This is my oh, own. yeah. MJ's like, oh, what do you got? What you got going on over there, AJ? <laughs> and that's where I park my uh, that's where I park my Airstream trailer. I have it out there in that vineyard. Uh, um, and so you're living in Airstream, Airstream right now. <laughs> I'm living in Airstream. She's doing that's like the whole deal. Like the whole deal is like you have a trailer, you buy the vineyard, you're making your wine. We get out here, we blow your wines up. Next thing you know, you got the big state of the art winery. Well, wait, but, but wait, tell him about your winery because that's yeah. another thing. That I don't know, like. No deep undercover yeah what's going on 
she's so my um, my partners I own that vineyard with, and I uh, just started renting. Um, you mentioned that one briefly. of the old um, Gallo facilities that was in the San Ynez Valley. Called it was called Bridalwood. Um, I know Bridalwood. Yeah. Well, now we're renting it for we're calling it Milestone because um, it is sort of. A, I remember when Bridalwood came out, like a, a yeah. late late nineties. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I totally remember that. Yeah. So uh, this was the shit. first vintage that I was able to actually like. You know, I was in there, like, doing the punch downs and pump overs and back into, like, I hadn't done that in so they're renting it 20 to years. Uh, yeah. So the own, the new owner of the um, winery is leasing it to us. Okay. Um, and he just did this big, uh, last weekend, he just did this big regenerative agricultural event, um, charity event as well. So the owner is, like, super into wanting to make sure everything is organic. And I just certified the winery organic as well so I can make certified organic wines Um in that winery, which is pretty cool because there's not that many not that many wineries that are certified organic. Um, so that was one of the big things I wanted to get done before harvest. Okay. So you told us about the one vineyard, <coughs> 17 acres. What's the other vineyard? Um, the other vineyard is a 100% organic um, Sauvignon Blanc vineyard um, that's also in the San Ynez Valley. Where's that? Where's, where's, where are these located? Because I kind of know the area. Yeah. So um, what, what hood are you hanging out? <laughs> so we're in the valley that is um, north of Santa Barbara, um, about 40 minutes north of Santa Barbara. The valley goes east-west. Um, mm-hmm. So meaning uh, the end of the valley opens up into the Pacific Ocean. Uh, that's the Santa Rita Hills part of yep. the San Ynez Valley. And then my vineyards are on the other side of kind of the 101 from there, um, which is in the more – like a little bit warmer climate, San Ynez Valley. Um, so the Pinot and Chardonnay is mostly on the kind of closer to the ocean side. And then uh, this is where we're growing more of those kind of red varieties, not quite warm enough to get Cabernet ripe um, in that region, but it's sort of one of those edgy regions, which is why I liked it. It is not that hot um, and it still has that ocean influence. So you're, you have that moderating effect. I won't use the word diurnal, but... <laughs> Um, you you did show some pride when you talked about being a female uh, vineyard owner. Uh, was there was there a th- what was the thought process? You like like I, I got to go back to grandma. I got to go back to Irene. Like grandma. land land in California <laughs> ain't shit in California cheap. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, I know. <laughs> so I, mean, what, I love California. Born and raised, and like I want to keep promoting California. I think it's the you know best place to be for the wines I want to make. Um, but yeah, it's it must have been scary. Uh, yeah, it's expensive. It's scary. The, the taking that risk is um, is always uh, is always a challenge. But I think um, that's where you get the greatest reward too. So. Um, you you're out here, trip, distributor, um, hanging out with Bridget. Hanging out with Bridget. Gonna hang out with Brooke later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Brooke. She's gonna be. She's like, yo. <laughs> um, another podcast alumni. Also, I've just found the wine world. Once you, it's. Uh, it's small, though. It's super small. I think small. people don't realize that. Again, mm-hmm. movies and stuff, but it's small. Like, everybody I've had on a show kind of knows everybody. That's why you never burn a bridge. Yeah, exactly. Um, but um, so you're out here doing that. You 
harvesting still though, right? So what's what what's? I have a little bit of Cabernet left. Okay. Um, and the Cabernet is from that like Happy Canyon region, um, and I'm making it for a client because of course you know you're starting your own wine label. You got to have a little side hustles on the side. <laughs> uh, of course. I, of course the listeners I mean, know <laughs> that. They don't know that. Yeah. So like talk about that. Talk it's about not, I know? mean cuz like, you know, people I wish I just got to podcast for a living. Let's just put it that way. Uh-huh. <laughs> um like winemakers, right? Like even at the highest level, I think people don't understand like that's why people our consulting winemaker at 10 wineries in Napa right. so they can make some freaking money. So then go buy some freaking land like yeah, you did. Exactly. <laughs> Instead, yeah. And be poor again. Um, but, but, um, but yeah, so like people are like, Oh my God, she's amazing. She owns these vineyards. She does. And you are, and you do, but, but it's you're still, a lot, yeah, you're, it's you're still a lot of work to get there. It took a lot of work. I mean, first yeah, of all, you worked at a winery that is very big. You know, that, that sets you up to do these things. Definitely. Like, you know, that's a whole nother thing too. Um, you know, I had a, Greg Brewer on and, you know, like we talked about when he got acquired or we partnered with, like, he's like, on one level, it's such a relief. You don't understand, like, how hard it is to be this small wine. Yeah, like, you know like what I mean? Like, 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 yeah. You don't have to worry about making payroll anymore, but you know what I mean? Like, this is why it's a passion. I mean, passions don't always make a lot of money, but you have to have that passion. Worst for advice it. ever: follow your passion. <laughs> exactly. You should follow your passion, but don't think, don't the, think that's, that's not the key. It's not the key to success. No, I mean, unless success is doing what you want in life, which that ultimately should be success. But like, but like, I, I, I read a lot. Of, I used to read a lot of books. I worked with kids, and I was like, that's mm-hmm. the worst advice. I was like, oh yeah, follow your dream per se. Like we let's we right. let's unpack that. Yeah. What do you want your life to look like? If if you're okay with this, driving a Honda Accord, you know, (laughs) blah, 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 then go for it. And there's nothing wrong with driving a Honda Accord, but just don't, but it's often said to people, oh, do do what you, the money won't necessarily come, but your fulfillment and joy will come as I think you're, but you're still consulting with people. Yeah. I am, I'm still helping people. And I think that is part of, part of too. Like I, I do, um, want to keep like using my skills i want to be able to like make these wines here but then also if i can consult from different areas then i still you know remain like kind of fresh in those areas and still you know can keep learning i mean part of my passion is definitely the learning side of things you know i want to keep learning always um but yeah that, what's that venn diagram that shows you like you know like your like your real goal in life is to have that overlap between like you know, passion and, you know, financial success and, and some sort of fulfillment. Right. And if you can find that, like, that middle ground, like, you know, you're there. But, uh, yeah, that's that's a tough one to get to. And I think, you know, we're all striving to to, um, to be better and to have, you know, hopefully, like, part of, part of Turning Tide is that for me, you know, being able to, like, really showcase, you know, I want to help, you know, <laughs> as we all do, I guess, want to help save the world. I want to help, you know, be – be fulfilled by helping other people, bringing other people along with me with um, all these different groups. AJ always joining, you know, like bringing people together. And then, yeah, hopefully at some point it helps you financially so you can live. <laughs> but, you know, it's like that intersection of all of those things is like, you know, what people I think strive for in their careers. Yeah. Um, so now that I went deep, huh? now that I went deep, you can take it back. Yeah, no, <laughs> go deeper. Um, so, uh, when you worked at Gott, you were based where up, up north? Yeah, I lived in Santa Rosa. Um, 
And, you know, that's the one of the reasons that I um, moved, besides the fact that I could really, you know, find better sort of land values and, and you know, find opportunities to, to own vineyards down the Central Coast. Um, but the, uh, you know, being evacuated from your house four years in a row during harvest, it's, I mean, it's a burden on you, you know, physically, but also mentally and everything else and trying to figure out how you're going to make wine and your meanwhile your employees are evacuated as well and you know it's the busiest time of year and you know you can't get to your vineyards because there's road closures and I mean it's crazy the, that fire season really um really was a challenge in those last um the last five years or so up there and yeah then Santa Rosa actually got part of it got hit yeah in the middle of the night 3 a.m um that's when our target and our Hilton burned down and the big community of um coffee park I mean it was one of those really surreal experiences um I will tell you as an east coast guy I lived in California 10 years Santa Barbara but my my last like in my last two years fires I was like near fires yeah. And there is nothing. So scary. I mean, there's, it's like California weather is interesting because earthquake, your first time in earthquake, you're like, what was that? Like, literally, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I grew up with those. I'm, fine. I'm, yeah, you're fine. But I'm like, I'm like, wait, that felt like the subway. You know, like, cause that's only, yeah. it's pretty, like, like, there's no subway. You're on State Street in Santa Barbara. <laughs> and then, like, you get, you know, right. you, you get, you know, there's, there's a, the, the shakers and then the, the, uh, the rollers are the most fun because they, they make the telephone poles and trees like kind of right. go back and forth. Wow, wow. Yeah, it's like a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, Those didn't bother but me. Fire. I remember the first time I seen a wild fire. And I was like, conditional sit forest fire because of Smokey yeah. the Bear. But like, first time you see a wildfire, you just feel so small. Like, and, and I can only imagine like yep. there was one they thought was going to come down to Santa Barbara. Couple years ago, and you could just see like just the ridge line. It's just, just it's the night. It's the ridge line is just on fire, and you see it creeping down. And then you wake up the next morning, and then the sun is looks like Mars because there's smoke in the air. Yeah. And some people don't know what it's like. So freaking three, and then you got to get up three o'clock in the morning and yeah. get out your house, and you figure out like what am I taking with me, right? And like that was a, that was the reality. And then you of got a job, everybody. yeah. And you're <laughs> yeah. saying, and they're like, we got to get these grapes. But oh yeah. And then also, we have grapes that we're supposed to be harvesting today. <laughs> like, how am I supposed to do all these things and not freak out about my house burning down? No. It is it is pretty amazing though what you what you think you need to like take with you, you know. And that was like one of the one of the things I started to pack. And like, you know what? All this stuff is, you know, I can buy it again. It's fine, <laughs> but it is a uh, it is pretty crazy to think that we went through all those um, all those years of fires up there. I mean, I hope like you know this year we got some rain during harvest, and so you know. Well, I was up there, and I was I was, and I was actually in Sonoma. And I was like, man, it's you can still so see it. dry. I mean, and we flew, and I got it in a helicopter, so you could see where things had burned. But like, you know, I had I forgot how arid. It is. California is a it, desert. Yeah, it's a desert. People don't really like it's and like, and I it was just conscious because like I said it was it we were we were in a drought in Jersey when I was like I was like man, um so hopefully yeah fire season you know that's always scary, so you're down the Central Coast and they do have fires on it but it's just that it's not the same as like like Santa Rosa is, is like. Isn't it like the the county seat? Like it's like a big city. It's a big city. Yeah, it's a big city it's to a big be city to have to a fire, fire come, come through it. Yeah, like like yeah. We're not talking like 
you know, the stuff the never vineyard. comes through at two in the morning, two in the afternoon either. It's always in the middle of the night. Always, right? like always. Apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah. Fire, yeah. fire. You know, fire. Fires watch backdraft. Like, yeah, that's how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like he nailed it. Yeah, that's what we do. We're insidious. <laughs> Yeah, um, but that's I mean that, that all kind of correlates to to the whole climate. And I'm saying, and then stuff. and then like, and then you're back happening. to turning tides, right? Like like exactly. It how do we stop back. these forest fires? Like, like what are how, we doing? Right, exactly. No, and I mean I think you know part of it is um, part of it's like coming together and realizing that we all we're all in it. You know, we all have we're all part of this. You know, like we see climate change happening right before our eyes. Um, so we all need to like take action. Yeah. So when I was out there, I'd get led to Jitwasa. A lot of the fires, particularly in Sonoma. So how do we get people? How do we get? And I, I don't know how it's gonna sound, but not so much in corporate activism, but like, it's the fucking power lines. <laughs> why don't they fix? Why don't they put the power lines underground? Yeah, we could go. Like that's what happens. Like, right like, now, like, yes. like, yeah, like, like, the, like lightning strikes a power line, yep. and then fucking shit burns down. Yep. Yeah, and, and because why, because why because we buried them yet? Right, because like we're like because because, because we're pulling we're pulling in record profits. Why would uh-huh. we reinvest <laughs> in, in infrastructure? Yeah, why would we do that? I mean, that when 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 that when when we were on the helicopter, and the guy was telling us like, yeah, that one was started by a power line. That was started by a down power line. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's right. so that's so I preventable. Know. It is preventable. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you can go into the fact that uh, yeah, I mean, why do we still have like utilities that are so important to us being held by, you know, private companies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like why isn't the government helping take care of some of that stuff more? Yeah. I, I don't, mean you could I get saying, really I political on this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, you know I'm not I'm not even that guy, but like yeah. I think about some things, I'm like, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Some of the shit that goes on in this country. Like like uh. how's that make sense? Like gas was like seven dollars a gallon in California. Yeah it is. Right? <laughs> It is. And, and, and it makes you and, but, but, but they made the most money ever last quarter. Yeah, I know. It's pretty insane. It, and I'm listen. Make your money, but like, like this is insane. This is insanity. And they know we're we're kind of stuck in California too because we don't have public transportation like you guys. Oh, do that out was here. people don't even know. That's that's a whole nother like we can't eat, we the can't, oil companies made sure stuck, you didn't have it. Right? We're stuck. <laughs> Like we have to fill up our big trucks yeah. with that seven dollar gas. <laughs> that always amazed me hour. too. Like everybody has a huge SUV in Cal. I'm like, how do people? Seriously, not every. Listen, it's just, I don't know how people live in California because it's expensive. And like, if you look at what the average income is, how are you spending 125 bucks a week to fill up a a Denali or whatever the hell you're driving? Oh my, yeah, my um Ford truck because you need a truck if you're well, yeah, you, you know need a truck, you're, you're yeah. hauling barrels, you're putting like big you're going up mountains, you need, you need power. Yeah. I mean, we need we need our big vehicles if yeah. you're like yeah. you know an ag and you know towing stuff around, throwing bins of grapes in the back, whatever. Um, but my my truck it would stop at one hundred and seventy five dollars at the gas pump, and it wasn't even full. I mean, you said one twenty five, I'm like, no, no, that's what? cheap. <laughs> oh my god, I'm sick. <laughs> Like, oh, that's three-fourths full. That's awesome. You're like, shit. I could have bought a nice big 15.5 Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, instead, yes, I could have. (laughs) Exactly. With a cork and a heavy bottle with a deep punt. And order a big steak. Exactly. Yes, from from down in Neiman Ranch, right? (laughs) It's across up the five. Up the five. 
Um, so now that we've depressed you all and <laughs> talked about, you know, the, the issues that, that um, you're actually trying to deal with a little bit. I mean, you're doing your part. You're doing more than your part. You're doing several people's part. I am. I am trying, and I think a lot of that is uh, is the giving back and educational piece of it. Um, I helped start a a task force that is um, helping wineries deal with wildfires, deal with smoke exposure um, on the educational piece. Um, and then I'm also um, a co-chair of a big committee for um, the Unified Grape and Wine Symposium that we have in Sacramento every year. Um, and part of that really is having putting on these big seminars and educating the industry on you know how can we act differently how you know of course I've been trying to have as more as much of I mean, everybody believes it so it it works but as many seminars on trying to be sustainable as possible you know how can we learn how to be more sustainable in the winery how can we learn how to be more sustainable in packaging um, so there's a lot of different Take pieces of back. that <laughs> yeah I mean let's think outside the box. Um, <laughs> specifically um so i think uh and we actually need to we need to think inside the box drink inside the box drink inside the box um so let's coin that term now yes that one's free you can take that one and run with it i'm writing it i know now. It i'm down. like god damn it bridget she's like <laughs> he's like exactly <laughs> she's like yeah. Yeah. um Ooh, yeah so we're gonna play a little game um uh shout out to Brooke Sobel yes. and Simone for this because she like was on here. She's like, you know what you should do? And I'm like, that's a good idea. We're going to play FMK. <laughs> Fuck, Mary kill. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, we're going to give you, we're going to give you three grapes. You get to fuck one, you get to marry one and you have to kill one. Um, Pinot Noir, Cabernet, and Grenache. Oh, that's easy. Okay. Cabernet oh. kill. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, Pinot Noir is the sensual one. Um, and then I think the Grenache is the one that you, that's what I make. That's what I, actually the Grenache I think is more of my passion. That one is like the one that you would marry, that you would stick with forever. You're going to marry Grenache? Yeah, I'm going to marry Grenache. And you're going to fuck She fucks I with Pinot. Because you know what she does? She likes, she's like, I'll fuck with that Pinot in Oregon. I used to fuck with that Pinot down in Chile. Got my Chilean Pinot. You know, like, down in New Zealand. Grenache is forever. Yeah. Grenache is yeah. Grenache is yeah, yeah. Grenache is like, you can count on Grenache every time. You can time. count on Grenache. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what about you? Oh, um, of those three, same. I would, I would, I would kill Cab. It's not my favorite, unfortunately. I mean, I know it's so storied and everything, but like, so that's easy for me. And then, um, yeah, I would probably would marry Grenache because it, it, I always say Pinot Noir wants to be Grenache when it grows up. <laughs> and, and then, but Pinot, you know, can be lovely. Pinot can be lovely. You know, can be lovely. It could be big. It could be slutty. Pinot, Pinot, Pinot's like, <laughs> you could meet a Pinot in a bar and want to fuck with it. <laughs> so. Bridget, well. are you in agreement here? Sure. <laughs> I am. Definitely killing Cap. <laughs> um. 
No, we. I mean, I love Kev. I made a lot of. No, Kev I know, in but least, we're playing a game. But I mean, yeah. like, but like, I will tell people like, I'll drink a, a Syrah before I'll drink a Cab. I'll drink a yeah. Shout Enough to Pop. Before, I mean, like, and then if I do go board over idols, then I'm I'm a right bank guy. I go to Santa Miona. I like a Merlot Cab Franc blend. Just. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. It's just, just, just Merlot me. is underrated. I think Merlot can be really nice. Yeah. Merlot is so yeah. underrated. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I mean, Merlot I, is kind of what Cab wants to be. I think a little bit. Oh well, yeah. When you when you go when you go to when you go to Bordeaux and you understand right bank left mm-hmm. bank, and then you come back and then you have like our Carneros Merlot. I was actually talking to him about Carneros Merlot. People don't realize people just think Chard and Pinot and Carneros, but the fucking Merlot is pretty sick, you know. Or yeah. when you get a yep. really nice Merlot based out of uh, you know. Havens Borico, Merlot, Cab Franc, all that shit. Oh, yeah. That's a throw. Washington Merlot, Andrew Will stuff. I mean, so many, but like, you know, um, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely, you know, I ain't drinking any fucking Merlot. Made a lot of people drink bad Pinot, <clears throat> but now they don't have to because you're making good, affordable Pinot out of it. You don't have to drink bad Pinot. I know. Life's too short but, for but, that. But that's the thing, right? Like, like. Yep. You know, you know the marketing machine. Yeah, right. You know, it can be confusing. It's uh, it can show itself off in lots of different ways. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, it's it can be tough. So I think finding some good examples of well-made Pinot that it's consistent from year to year, and I think that's one thing that um, that you know I want to try to. Sh- Oregon can have these big swings from vintage to vintage. You know, the weather up there is a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. So trying to understand that and trying to. Trying to um, guide the the fermentation so that they are a little bit more consistent from year to year. Yeah. All right. So uh, <clears throat> before we wrap up, one last question: What are you most excited for in the future? Um, I'm excited for like the team. Like, really, it does come back to people. I'm excited for the the new teams that I'm building, the people that I have um, at the winery um, this harvest. Bringing more people into that in the next couple years, teaching more people, and having uh, having my new sales team. Um, I think that there's a lot of a lot of fun out in the future, and yeah, it's about working with great people and the people that you love and people that you want to keep working with. AJ, which is my mother's initials, <clears throat> we talked that. about. You remember that? We yeah. did talk about that. Um, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks I'm for glad we, me. we got to do this. Tell people uh, where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing. Yeah, well, I have my website, uh, turningtidewines.com. You can buy all of the wines I have on the website, but also um, I have some good retail partners. Um, you know, Whole Foods has been great in supporting me on my organic, certified organic wines, so you can find them there. Um, and then, of course, uh, Michael Skernick and Harmon that do the distribution for me out in New York. They don't. They don't just, yeah, okay. Their sales team. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, there you go, well. Harmon. <laughs> <laughs> they have a great team. They do have a great team, um, for sure. And for all you listeners out there, don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. That's where you'll find info on the wine we drank in this episode, links to cool things we discussed. I might even put that CCOF in there. <laughs> That's uh, a pretty good and, idea. <laughs> and so much more. Until the next time, cheers to all the Mavericks, the philosophers, the deep thinkers, and the wine drinkers. Peace.